Well, good morning. I'm glad to see you here today, and thank you for making Mount Airy part of your Sunday worship experience. Uh, <clears throat> I got to tell you that uh, Friday when I gave the sermon title to our secretary, Melanie, I uh, said so the title is Terrible Times Ahead, and she rolled her eyes and said, all these messages are so uplifting. <laughs> uh, Lisa and I were talking before I left today, uh, early this morning, and uh, about the, the message Terrible Times Ahead. She says, can we maybe do a, a more of a light-hearted series next time? <laughs> And I understand that. I get that. I understand why Melanie rolled her eyes. I understand why Lisa asked for a lighthearted series next time. I understand that. I mean, for the last few weeks, uh, I have kind of felt like a dentist telling you that you need a root canal. And then you come back next week and I say, you need another one. And come back next week, there's another one. And, uh, but I promise you that if you'll come back next Sunday... The message will be a little less traumatic as we turn the page and talk about some other things uh, still in the book of Second Timothy. But I think Lisa said something pretty profound this morning when we were talking about all of this. She said, I guess when you preach the truth, it's not always good news. And that's true. And that really is, in a nutshell, the message of Second Timothy. We don't always have good news to share. It's... And quite frankly, we are not living in uplifting days. And when the Apostle Paul wrote this text, he was not living in uplifting days either. The Apostle Paul was writing from a prison cell in Rome. He, he knew that his own death was at hand. And he was writing to warn his young protege, Timothy, of the difficult days to come. It's clear that the aged Apostle was concerned deeply concerned about the trends that he saw developing all around him. Hard times were coming, and Paul realized this. And so if you open God's Word, we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 1, and see what he says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, and verse 1 really is the, the key to the whole chapter. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And when I read that, two questions quickly came to mind. The first question is this, what does Paul mean by the expression, last days? Well, that expression really has two different biblical meanings. Last days can refer to that broad period of time between the first and the second coming of Jesus. Of course, this broad period of time right now covers a period of approximately 2,000 years so far. So when we talk about the last days, first and foremost, we're talking about this broad period of time. Now, it's called the last days because Christ's return is the next great event on God's calendar. Nothing else needs to be done before Christ's return. Everything that needs to be done for our salvation, everything was done when He came the first time. Nothing needs to be done except His second coming, thus the term 
last days. It is the final stage of God's redemptive plan before the return of Jesus. So we are currently living in the last days. In fact, Peter was the first one to introduce this term to us. And in his sermon at Pentecost, he talked about the last days. Peter understood that after Christ left and until he comes back, this whole period of time is the last days. You say, well, but, but it's 2,000 years. That's the reason Peter wrote in his letter, don't you understand that a, that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day? The Lord's not slow in his return, but he's purposeful, not wanting anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so, first of all, when we talk about this last days, we're talking about that large period of time between his first and second coming. But it also refers to something else. It refers to those events that will occur just prior to the second coming. The last days, this is the way we most often think of it, probably. When we think of last days, we usually think of those things that will happen that we read about in the book of Revelation. When we think of last days, we're thinking about those things, those, those times when it will be a time of terror, where evil will intensify, uh, where there will be an all-out assault against God and God's people. It's the final days before the Lord's return. I, I find it helpful to think of all of this in terms of, uh, of labor pains. A pregnant woman knows that when she is pregnant, she may be pregnant for a while and, and at first may not even look pregnant. And later st- starts to feel pregnant, then even later starts to look pregnant. She starts to get the, big, uh, the, the baby bump, if you will. But... but But then there comes a time, right? Towards the end of that pregnancy. Then there comes a time when the labor pains become more frequent. And they become more intense. And she's been pregnant the whole time. But during this last time, the labor pains are more intense. They are more severe. They are more frequent. And that's the way it is with the last days. The last days started uh, when Jesus left this earth. But when we get closer to His return, there will be this period of time when, if you will, the labor pains will be more frequent and severe. Verse 1, Paul says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So that phrase, will be, to me, points to the fact that Paul is not talking about this broad period of time, but probably he's talking about this short period of time prior to the Lord's return. There will be future tense. There will be these things. But something very interesting in verse 5, in verses 1 through 4, he's talking about what those days will be like. And in verse 5 he says, having a form of godliness but dying its power, have nothing to do with them. In other words, he was telling Timothy, these things that will be could occur in your lifetime. These things that are coming could be in your days, in, in your life. And, and if these things occur in your lifetime, have nothing to do with, with these kinds of people. Now, so that brings up a question, doesn't it? Was Paul wrong? I mean, if he thought, if he was telling Timothy, in the last days, there will be these things, and then you have nothing to do with these people because you likely may be living during that time, was Paul mistaken? Was he wrong? No. Apostle Paul was living the way that we all should live. 
He was living with the awareness and the conviction that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. You see, just because it's been a long time, everybody look up here, just because it's been a long time, doesn't mean that He might not come soon. Just because it's been a long time, doesn't mean that He might not come in our lifetime. So all through the Bible, you see the the apostles who walked with Jesus and and the, the authors of Scripture, all through the Bible, you see them referencing this concept that His return could be at any time. For example, in 1 Peter 4, 7, Peter wrote, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. And again, was Peter wrong? No. Peter was saying, you need to understand, there is nothing left that needs to happen before the Lord, the Lord returns. So live with that sense that he could come at any time. James wrote in James 5.9, the judge is standing at the door. The judge is standing at the door. It's, it's imminent. It's here. It's now. The clear teaching of Scripture that is that we are living in the last days. Definitely, watch this, definitely in these last days. And we may be living in these last days. Only God knows that for sure. But we may be living in these last days. Or at least heading there very shortly. So, what will those last days be like? That's the second question. What will those last days be like? Paul tells us in verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now the word translated terrible occurs only here and one other place in the New Testament. Matthew 8.28 is the other place that you see this word used. Though it's translated differently, it's the same Greek word. Matthew 8.28 refers to the two violent men who were possessed by demons in the region of Gadara. They were wild, uncontrollable men living among the tombs, or around the tombs. And this particular Greek word used to describe these demon-possessed men, wild uh, men, is also used in 2 Timothy 3.1. And so Paul was saying, let me tell you how terrible these days are going to be. These last days will be fierce and violent and demonic and dangerous and frightening. Ray Pritchard said it this way, he said, in the last days... Savage times will come as men cast off all moral restraint and society begins to disintegrate. That's why Paul said, but mark this. Make sure you are aware of this. Understand this. Pay attention to this. There will be terrible times, look up here, in these last days. Living Bible translates verse 1 this way. In the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. So don't be naive and think that everything is going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Don't be naive and think that everything's going to get better. It's not going to get better. Terrible days are ahead. So, thanks for coming today. Hope you have a good good week. (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) So what should we be doing? 
How should we be living? How should we be preparing for this time? Thankfully, that's what Paul explains to Timothy in chapter 3. And he suggests some very practical survival strategies, if you will, for the perilous, difficult, dangerous days that could be ahead. And I'm going to give you two words. Uh, Simply, these are my two points, but they're just words that I want you to remember. Because I want to plant them in your heart and in your mind. And maybe these words will pop back up later on when you need them. So I want to give you two words based upon what Paul says to Timothy. That would help us understand how should we be living? What should we be doing in the terrible days ahead? The first word I want to give you is the word inspect. Inspect. You need to inspect so that you won't be misled. You see, what's the problem in the last days? What, what is it that's going to cause problems in the last day? The, the problem that Paul notes in verse 2 is simple. What's the first word of, of verse 2, at least in the NIV? What's the first word? People. People are going to be the problem in the last days. Sinful people, depraved people, demonic people. People will create difficult times. The very first or the first five verses of Second Timothy three offer a sobering catalogue of corruption, things that people will do. Paul uses no less than nineteen different adjectives and, and descriptive phrases to characterize the human depravity of the last days. Look what he says in verse two. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, grateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. I want you to notice how Paul brackets this list of sinful practices with statements of love in verse 2 and in verse 4. Uh, here's what he says in verse 2. He, he says, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And in verse 4 he says uh, that they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Perhaps this is the best way to summarize the, those 19 different characteristics. The best way to summarize the fundamental problem that will occur in this evil time. The terrible times ahead. If I could put it into, into contemporary terms. Paul notes three different inordinate loves that will be displayed. That will lead people into ruin in these terrible days ahead. The first one is what we would call in today's terms narcissism. You know what narcissism is? Narcissism is the love of self. It's the temptation to be. The temptation to be. We are very much so a narcissistic people. We love ourselves. If you doubt that, just go to almost any store now and you can see displayed for your purchase, selfie sticks. Right? Right? Everybody's getting a selfie stick. You know why? So we can take pictures of ourselves. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's sinful. I'm just saying that is characteristic of the day in which we're living. And the closer we get to this time, the more people will become about themselves. 
Paul said it right there in verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves. They will be narcissistic. And the temptation will be the temptation to be somebody. Not only is it the love of, of self, narcissism, there's also materialism. The love of money. That's the temptation to have. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, it says in verse 2. Temptation to have more and more and more. They'll be driven by this temptation to have more, get more, gain more, do all you can to, to obtain more. Materialism is rampant in our society, the love for money. And then there's the third love, is the word hedonism. Hedonism is the love of pleasure. It's the temptation to feel. I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. I want to enjoy. It's the temptation to feel. It's hedonism. And he says in verse 4, So there'll be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure. Hedonism, the temptation to feel. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now when you read verses 2 through 4, doesn't that sound like a pretty accurate description of our day? But you know what? We haven't got to the really bad part yet. The bad part comes in verse 5. In verse 5 he says, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. The word form means something like having the outward appearance of godliness. Paul says in the terrible times ahead, they will not abandon religion. The terrible times ahead, they will still go to church. The terrible times ahead, there will still be worship services. It's very interesting to me that in the last days, as men turn away from God, paradoxically, they will continue in their religion. Religion will not be abandoned, but it will be religion for religious sake, not religion that is based on Jesus Christ. They will embrace all kinds of postmodern religion. A religion that will allow them to believe anything, endorse anything, live any way they choose to live, so long as it makes them happy. Because we are driven by this concept of self and, and this hedonism of, I want to feel good, I, I'm entitled to this. And they will say things like, we don't need to be bound by outdated rules of the Bible. Those were written 2,000 years ago. Those don't apply to us today. Notice how Paul said we should respond to people like that. When we get to those days, Paul said to respond to those religious leaders this way, have nothing to do with them. Inspect is the word. Inspect who they are. Inspect what they say. Inspect how they live. And do not be misled by those who deny the fundamental truths of the faith. Inspect. And if we had time, we'd look at verses 6, six through 9. He describes these false teachers in verses 6 through 9 and how they spread their insidious spiritual venom. But let me skip verses 6 through 9 and go to the second word. The first word, say it again. The first word is what? The second word is expect. Expect. In other words, don't be surprised by what's ahead. Expect terrible times to come, even to you. He says in verse 10, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, 
persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Timothy, I I don't need to rehearse all of this, but let me remind you. You know all about the the things that I've been through. You know all about the stonings and the imprisonments. Uh, You know all about the the times people have cursed me and they've run me out of town. You know all about the different places I've been and all the problems that I've had. The things that I've had to endure. The persecution that has come my way because of my faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you need to know something. Verse 12. What you've seen in my life is not going to be reserved just for people like me. What you've seen me endure, you will endure as well. Verse 12. In fact, everyone. Would you say out loud, everyone? In fact, everyone. Not just apostles. Not just people like Paul. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. In other words, what happened to Paul will happen to Timothy sooner or later. And what's happening around the world to Christians in Sudan and parts of China and Indonesia and Iran and in other Muslim countries will eventually happen to us who live in the United States as well. No one gets a free pass from suffering. No one gets a pass who says, no, that won't happen to us. No, that won't happen here I'm not saying it will involve imprisonment, though it could. I'm not saying that you'll be beaten, though who knows. I'm not saying you'll be tortured. I'm not saying you'll be put to death. But I am saying this. Just because you live in the United States of America does not guarantee that you will always have the freedom you now have. In fact, if you know anything about your history, you know that people in the United States of America have already experienced persecution. Someone gave me this article, and I I love the article because it is an article uh, from June 26, 1776. It's a copy from Massachusetts, uh, Pepperell, Massachusetts, June 26, 1776. Here's the title from this newspaper article. Mob dips dogs in ridiculing Baptist stand on immersion. That was the headline in the paper that day. Here's, I'm going to read you part of the article. Because of abuse, threats, and ridicule from a mob led by town authorities, Baptists had to make three separate attempts here today before they were able to baptize six converts. During the second attempt at baptism, a law enforcement officer told the Baptist preachers conducting the service to leave town, quote, for their own safety, end quote. The candidates for baptism probably never would have received the ordinance if the group had not been successful in eluding their persecutors. The Baptists met in a field near a river for worship and the baptismal service, but during worship, the mob arrived and broke up the meeting. In ridiculing the Baptist stand on baptism, a dog was taken into the river by the mob and dipped to the accompaniment of uproarious laughter. A resident of Pepperville then invited the ministers and congregation to his house where the baptismal service could be conducted in a nearby river. But the mob followed, and this time two dogs were dipped, and members of the mob dipped each other in derision of the Baptist doctrine. It was here that an officer warned the ministers to leave town. When they asked if their lives would be in danger if they remained, the Baptists received no answer. 
After this second meeting was dispersed, the group secretly agreed to a third location. This time, they escaped the mob momentarily, and the six candidates received the ordinance of baptism. Shortly after the ceremony, the agitators arrived, however, and subjected the Baptists to further abuse and ridicule. Not even the war with England has halted persecution of Baptists by Massachusetts authorities because of their opposition to the state church and their bold fight for religious liberty. Baptists have faced bitter oppression in New England. You see, because we live where we live, because we haven't experienced it, we assume that that kind of thing is off out there somewhere in other places. And that it will never be here. All I can tell you is what God's Word says. And God's Word says in Philippians 1.29, It has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Folks, people in all walks of life understand the risk involved in what they do. But we as Christians sometimes have the perspective that we're always going to be safe and we're always going to be okay and things are always going to be good. But, but think about it for a moment. Race car drivers understand this. They understand that they should expect, keyword, they should expect some crashes along the way. Football players understand that they can expect to sometimes be injured. Baseball players know that they might be hit by a pitch. Soldiers expect somebody to be shooting at them. And they expect that not everybody will come home. Christians in the same way should expect some degree of persecution. Now we shouldn't go looking for it. We shouldn't be uh, seeking enemies. But we need to understand, if you look up here, we need to understand we are living in the last days. And as we get closer to the very last days, that becomes a very real possibility. And so what do we do? I'm going to talk about this really next Sunday, but let me read the scripture to you. He says, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let the Word of God be your anchor. That's what he's saying. We'll talk about that next week, about letting the Word of God be your anchor. But here's what I want you to understand. Inspect so you don't be misled. Expect so that you're not surprised by it. And then next week, here's what what he's going to tell us. Continue. Continue in the Word. Stay the course. Let the Word of God be your anchor. You see, listen, ladies and gentlemen, everything you need to know about the future is found in this book. Everything you need to know. You don't need to go to the bookstore and get the best-selling book and read about something that some author said, because I'm telling you, it's right here in this book. Terrible times are ahead. Make sure that you know the Lord. And that you're not a pretender. One of those who have the appearance of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Make sure that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Terrible times are ahead. Make sure that you not only know the Lord, but that you live for the Lord. And if persecution comes, then let it come. But you will be living for the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be living your life for Him. And don't you back up from that for anybody.
because we're heading somewhere. We're heading somewhere. This earth is not our home. The first coming points to the second coming. And the second coming is when He says, Now, come on home. I know what you have endured. I know what you have experienced. I know the pain you have lived in. Now, come home. Terrible days may be ahead, but I'm going to tell you something. Heaven is ahead too. Heaven is ahead. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Have you given your heart and your life to Him? And you know without a shadow of a doubt that if Jesus were to come back soon, you know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ would take you to His home, to heaven. If you don't know that, you need to come today. Let me introduce you to Him. And if you're not living for the Lord right now, you better get started. You better get started living for the Lord. You better stop riding the fence and trying to live on both sides. You better get started living for the Lord. Because the day will come when, listen, the day will come when God will separate those who are pretenders from those who are committed. I know these are not fun sermons. We prefer to have something a little more lighthearted. But I want to tell you something. God said, you need this. That's why He put it in His Word. God says, this is not a fairy tale. This is happening. This is coming. Because God loves you. He's trying to prepare you. So let's pray about it. Would you join me as we pray? I pray, Father, that as we look at our own lives, may we inspect, first of all, ourselves and make sure that we are in the faith, to make sure that we are who we claim to be, to make sure that our relationship with you is genuine. And if it is not, Father, if there's somebody here that, that they just have the outward appearance of being a Christian, but inwardly they know they're not, I pray that today they would be saved. Today they would give their heart and their life to you. I pray for those who perhaps are not living a godly life right now. I pray that they'll decide that it's time to live for Jesus and to trust Him. I pray that they'll decide it's time to devote their lives to the one who died for them. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be called up in fear, but I pray that we would be called up in living faithfully with our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to put our faith in you and in you alone. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.